Welcome to Onco Farm. I'm your host, John Bazaar. I'm a professor of pharmacy practice here at the supporting sponsor of Onco Farm, ETSU's Bill Gatton College of Pharmacy. It's March 23rd, 2023. Uh, today, we're going to look at uh, what one of my preceptors would have called an oldie but goodie. Uh, I don't know that we would call this a landmark publication, but it's certainly a significant publication uh, regarding febrile neutropenia treatment. So this is linazolid uh, versus vancomycin in neutropenic fever. Um, this was published in, uh, in the Clinical Infectious Diseases back in January of 2006 was when this first appeared in print. Um, January 06, uh, or January 2006, I was doing an eight-week community APPE, uh, finish out my last semester of pharmacy school. So eight weeks of community pharmacy uh, at a small independent pharmacy in Indiana. Tough times. It was tough times. Highlight of the day was walking across the street to the uh, to the gas station to to get uh, uh, a snack and a soda, a pop, and to hear a little ESPN radio. That was the highlight of the day. It was just that brief walk on a cold January day. This is um, uh, an uh, an issue, uh, you know, of you know the gram positive, basically the MRSA targeting drug in neutropenic fever, and the need for it. There's some good background here, um, or some interesting background. I'll say that I'll go over. So there had been a shift at this time from uh, from the um, the organism causing febrile neutropenia to gram positives, uh, where it had primarily been gram negatives with a shift towards gram-positive, where uh, they cite a, a study of 60 to 7% of bacterial uh, isolates in neutropenic fever patients were gram-positive. At this time, there was a widespread practice of putting people at high risk for neutropenic fever, so your acute leukemia patients, on ciprofloxacin. I think it was called selective gut decontamination, and the idea was, uh, well, all these patients, when they get neutropenic fever, they're growing out gram-negative rods. Let's kill the gram-negative rods before they get neutropenic. Well, they still got neutropenic and they still got uh, febrile, but instead of it being gram-negative rods, they got gram-positive infections. Um, so at a hospital where I trained, um, they actually had a protocol where everyone got vank because they had seen this shift, likely due to uh, widespread ciprofloxacin use of a lot of gram-positive organisms uh, growing out. So everybody got vank uh, empirically for neutropenic fever because it often was a gram-positive bug. Um, and which you necessarily didn't need VANC. You didn't know it was going to be MRSA. You know, cefepime covers MSSA and streptococcus really well. And, uh, and as a result, I had really high rates of VRE, which led to um, uh, my first uh, residency project, which um, maybe due to the quality of the paper, although probably due to the fact that it was the first one published is the most cited uh, thing that I've done. So that was the background for this to compare linazolid versus vancomycin in neutropenic fever. This was, um, this was done uh, primarily in Europe. We'll get to that. So these folks were hospitalized, febrile, um, uh, with proven or suspected gram-positive bacterial infection. How can you suspect gram I mean, you could suspect gram-positive infection in everybody with neutropenic fever. It's not a very differentiating um, uh, or inclusion criterion. Uh, suspected catheter infection. You know, if you're neutropenic, you don't mount typical signs of infection. So if you have a catheter, you could, physicians could always argue, I suspect catheter infection because they have, a, they have a line and they're neutropenic, so it won't be red. It won't be painful. And I don't have a comeback for that. 
uh, colonized with MRSA or drug-resistant strep pneumo, hypotension, or failure of broad-spectrum antibiotics within 72 hours of enrollment. So if they've been on, say, Piptazo for 72 hours and were still febrile, they could be uh, enrolled. Um, they had to have a fever. Uh, there are a couple different definitions of fever here. I'll just say an axillary temp above 38.1, which would be 100.5 uh, degrees Fahrenheit. Um, uh, an ANC below 500 or expected to go below 500 in the next two days. Pretty standard definition of neutropenic fever. They excluded people who'd had a bone marrow transplant within four weeks. And they randomized them one-to-one to, -one to linazolid 600 Q12 uh, intravenously or VANC 1 gram Q12. They did have uh, an unblinded co-investigator to monitor uh, VANC levels in creatinine and, and apparently adjust the dose. But they gave everybody a gram Q12, and it's a good thing that this was done in Belgium, Croatia, France, Germany, Greece, Italy, Poland, Russia, Slovenia, South Africa, Spain, and Switzerland. If it had been done in the U.S. at that time, one gram was not enough of vancomycin for a lot of the patients we were treating around that time. Um, they ended up enrolling 600 patients, about 300 in each arm, and they, they all received the drug for, um, for 10 to 28 days, which maybe is more than they needed. Um, now, in these infectious disease studies, uh, I guess I, when I read this, I feel like a non-oncology clinician reading an oncology study, because you've got your intent-to-treat population, which is anybody who got one dose of a set drug. Great, very familiar with that. Then you've got your modified intent-to-treat population, which they define as people who had a gram-positive blood culture. And then you had those who were clinically evaluable. It was like 200 of the 300 total patients per group. And to be clinically evaluable, you had to have to receive at least three days of therapy to be able to call it failure if you had treatment failure, or at least seven days of therapy if you were going to be determined to have treatment success. And then they have a microbiologically of a valuable population, which is they had a bug that was susceptible to both linazolid and vein. So really look cutting this pizza up a lot of different ways to look at. Uh, and of course, um, as you might expect, um, the majority of these patients, almost 58%, uh, had leukemia, 28% with lymphomas, 72% um, had ANC less than 100 at enrollment with a mean duration of neutropenia of nine days. So these are profoundly and persistently neutropenic. Uh, patients. These are mostly, I, I would guess, all acute leukemia patients. There. Not all, but primarily acute leukemia patients. Uh, they ended up receiving an average of 11 days of our, our MRSA targeting drug uh, in each group, linazolid or vancomycin. Um, in 26 and 22% respectively in the linazolid and vanc group, they had a gram-positive pathogen uh, that grew out um, um, of course, I, they're all on all kinds of other drugs. They're not just getting linazolid and vanc. Um, a lot of them are getting azoles and other antifungals. Uh, two-thirds are getting cephalosporins. Uh, almost two-thirds are getting aminoglycosides, which is surprising. It's a European study. Half are getting fluoroquinolones. Um, so a little bit different treatment dynamics uh, even then in Europe than what we're doing in the States. Um, when we look at um, the statistical analysis, this was designed as an equivalence study. And they're saying uh, that they define equivalence based on clinical success, which is basically they're, you know, a febrile or they haven't gotten worse. Very loose definition of success. Uh, as long as it's within 15%. All right, so I'll, I'll talk about what that is. So the percent of patients in each group that had success in the intent to treat group were 87%. 87.3% versus 85.4%. That is a difference um, of, uh, of 2.1%, but that 95% confidence interval of that difference is minus 4.1 to 8.1. Right? So we're not looking at does it cross 
uh, one, we're looking at does it cross zero, so it's not a significant difference, but for equivalence, that 95% confidence interval needs to be less than 15. And it's actually minus 4.1 to 8.1 is 12.2, so they, they said that it is equivalent here. But it could mean that that Vank is 4% worse, or linazolid is up to 8% better, is kind of what that means. Now, of course, you know, if, if you're not curing the leukemia, there's, there could be febrile from that. It's, it's a surrogate marker. It's not great. It's tough to look at mortality because uh, their disease status has a more important impact on mortality probably than linazolid or vancomycin. So you can't take a whole lot of weight efficacy-wise from this. doesn't seem to be a difference, but that's not why I'm talking about it. The reason that I'm talking about it is uh, we know that linazolid, the classic thing you learn with linazolid from a side effect standpoint, besides the weak monoamine oxidase inhibition and the risk of serotonin syndrome with other serotonergic drugs and potentially aged cheeses and beer and uh, dark beer and uh, aged meats and things like that, is that prolonged use of linazolid, like two weeks, is associated with thrombocytopenia. So, Kudos to the investigators here, one of which was a Pfizer employee, is they, they do look at hemoglobin, ANC, and platelet count. And when they look at the baseline versus end of treatment or seven days after therapy, there seems to be no differences in the hemoglobin platelets and white count. However, they actually give us a time to an ANC count above 500 with a cap and Meyer curve, uh, um, uh, or a, sort of a cap and Meyer curve. Um, now, it's just in the, meet, the modified intent-to-treat population, which is about 50% of all patients, but there is a clear trend. There's no statistical analysis. There is a clear trend that it takes longer to, uh, for the neutropenia to resolve, to leave the duration of neutropenia in the linazolid group. So here are the median times to ANC above 500 in this study in the 144 patients in the modified intent-to-treat groups. Seven days in the vancomycin group. 12 days in the linazolid group. Now that could be due to their, their treatment effect. Now they all are randomized, so and there are equal percentage of patients with acute leukemia, equal percentage of patients in remission or who are, had progressive disease, equal proportions of patients with lymphoma. So you kind of hope that evens out. Um, so the takeaway point here to me is that you do see delayed count recovery with linazolid. Um, and this is a little bit scary if you have, like we did at one point at a, at a site, a really high rate of vancomycin-resistant enterococcus where you are a little bit worried about using empiric vancomycin in these folks who are VRE colonized uh, because vancomycin is not going to work. If they have pneumonia, daptomycin is not going to work. You lose linazolid, you delay count recovery, which is kind of the last thing we want to do in these folks is delay count recovery. Uh, so this is uh, the only head-to-head -head study that I can find of linazolid versus vancomycin and neutropenic fever. So I think it's worth knowing about, uh, and, and I'll have the link in the show notes. Uh, but this is, uh, as I said, an oldie but goodie uh, and, and worth knowing, I think, the literature of this comparison. Thank you so much for listening. There will be no podcast next week. Oh, my gosh, next week is HOPA. Uh, I'll, be, uh, I'll be there. If you see me, say hey. Um, I love seeing everybody and hearing... Uh, people who listen to the pod. You can follow me on Twitter at FarmDNib, and you can follow the podcast on both Twitter and Instagram at OncoFarmPod. And until I talk to you again, remember, doses matter.